Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it with, you made it with, you made it with. I feel like I, I have to do this intro quickly because my, my mom is picking up my dad. I'm at the, at the house that my parents live at, and I don't want you to hear in the background them them talking. Irina! Sounds like that. Irina! Where are my pants? Stuff like that. Anyway, they're lovely people. Uh, let's just do this as fast as possible. This is Matt Besser. I was so happy to get him in, and we had a lovely time. Uh, let's see. What do I have to plug real quick? Ugly Americans is on on Wednesdays. Who cares? Watch it. You should watch it. It's a good show. Uh, live dates are on PeteHolmes.com. You can also see those on my Twitter, which is Pete Holmes with a Z. Uh, as always, this episode is uh, brought to you by Amazon. Uh, all you have to do is go to Nerdist.com, go to this episode, then click on the Amazon banner, and then shop like you normally would. Uh, this is a great way to support the show. So if you're going to buy something on Amazon, um, who cares what it is, do it that way, and you'll be supporting the show uh, somewhat directly. Uh, you could buy, who knows what you could buy? You could buy video games. Huh? You want to buy? They got all the games. They got all the games. They got Pong. I got Pong 2, just keep it pinging and ponging, baby. <laughs> Pretty inside. Uh, Super Smash Wachowski Brothers, that's a good one. It's confusing, gender-wise. Halo 4, Halo, how you doing? <laughs> Splinter Cell, uh, Splinter Cell 8. Splinter Cell 8, which is a, just a secret group of terrorist carpenters. And uh, Gears, of, Gears of War 4, uh, guys, there are monsters everywhere, let's just get out of here. They got all the games. So check it out. Uh, and let's get to this episode. Um, my parents are going to be home any second. They can't catch me podcasting. That's where the ghost of the we leave that. Sits. We leave. Oh, Mitch Hedberg? <laughs> we leave that open for Mitch. We leave it open for Elijah. Is that right? You're not Jewish. <laughs> Isn't your mom Jewish? My dad is. Your dad's Jewish? Jewish? So you're a full blown goy. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Damn, I know. Isn't that right? If your he dad... say son of a bitch. Well, he he's a, Gil's a child. He did not hear me say that. He giggled. There's a small child named Gil here. We've begun, by the way. Holy shit. <laughs> and I'll start cursing. I could tell by your uh, posture <laughs> that you didn't think this Jewish question was part of the show. It most certainly is. Your father's a Jew... That always sounds like a slur. He's Jewish. It starts sounds like the star of a stand-up set. What do you mean? Oh, my, my, mother, my, my mother's and I'm half therapy, <laughs> which means I'm always. Uh, it's always something like uh, I'm half black and I, half Irish, so yeah. I'm late to the bar. Nice. So I, that, that's a real one. I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying that. I've heard that one. I started a one-man show that way because you did? that's what it was about, and what I knew it was, was hack. About? But uh, what do you mean? What do you mean? You, that was the first line? Oh, I you think said my was. father is yeah. Jewish. You knew what you were doing. I knew I was. It, that was a hack sentence to start a show, sure. but there was no other way to start it. No, you got to go right into it, especially if you want to get that information <laughs> out. And if you're in front of an audience and you say my father is Jewish and my mother is... Christian. Christian. Protestant. Protestant. It would be more fun. Catholic is a funner word. Presbyterian, yeah. and my mother's a Presbyterian, you have to have some sort of punchline. Mm -hmm. You can't just offer that information and be like, and good night. 
I would say that all those all those familiar tropes, there's a way to do them. <coughs> I do a lot of jokes about who I look like, and that's the hackest thing in the world. Totally. That's the easiest way to start off a set, though. <coughs> there's no... There's actually no better way, I, I don't think. Because if you go up, and who do you look like? I, I used to oh, do Oh, you look Lyle like Mitch Hurwitz. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody knows who he looks like. It, it works. <laughs> when you do, you need a little more in your cans? I think so. I think it's that one. Is this that one? one? This one? There we, we, there we, we go. We leave all this okay. stuff in. This Good. is the grit. This okay. is the grit. This is the grit. Now I can hear myself. Is that better? Yeah. yeah you can, well, this is Matt Besser, everybody. Hey. Comedian sensation Matthew Besser. Also pronounced Beeser. No. Yep. <laughs> Matthew Beeser. That's my first question for you. Is it Besser? Besser is, <laughs> means uh, better in German. That's, it does? That's from the, the Jewish-German-Polish side. Is that true? Mm-hmm. It means better? Yeah. Matthew better? The, so my ancestors, their job was just being better in the village. <laughs> the braggers. Yeah. They live next door to the braggers. Can you please come to our house and help us brag? <laughs> Well, I am better than anyone at that. (laughs) Sure, I'll be right over. Oh, Mr. Besser. What voice was that? Don't hire the best. (laughs) He's too expensive. (laughs) The best family is two doors down. But the better family, you guys, you're better than the best. You wanted a fair price, but... Yeah. Shellacking, hardwood, tile, (laughs) the German stuff. (laughs) Your your cousin, your great-grand-cousin, is it a Three Stooges guy? Um, that's some interesting misinformation on the internet. It's just, it's, he's actually my sec, my grandfather's, uh, cousin. Your grandfather's cousin. So what's that mean to me? He's your niece. Second uncle or something? He's <laughs> my son. <laughs> some weird time tripping. I am terrible at like, uh, lineage, that out. lineage stuff. Just basic, my own family. Every, every year we have people over, you know, for Christmas and stuff and I'll go home and my brother will make fun of me because I have no idea who anyone is. But that's because I just, I can't think in that way. Like, this is your father's sister's daughter. Do- like, you lost How about me. this? I got nothing. How about you just don't care? It's also, be yes. Actually, see, memory and caring <laughs> are definitely linked. And at a certain age, I was like, I don't need to be taking up the mental real estate being like, you're my second niece. What about these family tree people? Have you had any of those people come around? I do you know. Have a com- you have a com- more common name than I do, though. Holmes. But when Yeah, but when literally- Bessers come around, they're so excited. Yes. Like, I'm a Besser, too. Yes. It's like, I... Don't really want to eat dinner with you because of that. You I'm should. Sorry. It's exciting. <laughs> I don't meet a lot of uh, girls with. I meet a lot of dudes with homes. I don't really meet, no ladies with homes because you'd think you'd make that joke where you'd be like, "Well, we got married. We just keep. I take your name." Wow, <laughs> that's me You've throwing been up. Seeking out the women just so you could make that yeah. joke with them and marry them. Exactly. That's sad. That's a terrible. That's what I'm way looking to hook for. Up with someone. That's what I'm looking for. A homes. <laughs> just a home. It, I think homes means uh, one one who lives by a, the uh, whose river uh, whose home. Is by the river, the most boring, like <laughs> also homes. known as idiots. <laughs> Move no. away from the fucking river. We There's going to be a flood. We love the water. We're a water people. We're a what? Do you like swimming? I actually hate swimming. Why? I have horrible experiences swimming. But you're. I went to this Christian camper. Back to that. My uh, Christian side of the family. Those what kind of Christian? Presbyterian camp. It's really evangelical would be a better way Great. to put it. Hey, did you know that about me? We're, we're evangelical brothers. I knew you come from a religious background. Yes. But uh, I actually was your went father to... a evangelical pastor? No, no. He, was an oil, he is an oil man. Okay. <laughs> so I won't. So please tell me about your camp. What was it, it was called? terrible. Something Can terrible? of Cuck. What's that? Can of Cuck. If you're from... Can of Cuck? <laughs> Can of Fuck. 
You went to a camp called Canacuck? Yeah. That sounds like if you and I were writing a movie about a summer camp, would be like, I don't know, Canacuck. Just put K's it in. K's a funny, K's a funny <laughs> sound. I like that. Canacuck. We open the movie Cucumber. by saying, I look like Lyle Lovett. We go to Camp Canacuck. <laughs> we close by Pete saying who he looks like. And I'm in therapy. Okay, so you went to Camp Canacuck. I thought it was going to be called, like, the Mustard Seeds or, or um, you know. They lot- had this like American Indian theme going where half the camp was Chocotas and half was Cherokees but that but that was just right. to disguise the real <laughs> born again thing going on trying right? to convert you yeah they didn't want sins all day okay. but anyway I was swimming in the swim meet once where you had to participate in the swim meet I'm not sure about your camp but you, oh, no. you had to be in the swim meet you had to be in the track meet there was uh-huh. no option you had a tr- what fucking kind of recreational camp experience is at this at the end you of have... camp we had meets you didn't meets? have that yeah I went to a Quaker camp called Friends oh, Camp yeah, perfect I, no I, competition I, I. your competition On the last day was we... yeah. building a card at the end or our something our competition was community yeah, <laughs> It's true. Who we engaged ourselves. We we're like, how well did we bond? This is why I secretly <laughs> want to live on a commune now. Any interest in that? Definitely not. Okay, that's weird. Even in you don't want to just even like, in college when they had the commune like dorm. Did you have that? No. See, maybe where everybody just, would buy their own food, and cook together. I was like, no, that just means a bunch of stinking hippies to me. Yeah. I, you know, I'd like to point out right now, I, I totally get that. I, I have mm-hmm. fear of stinking hippies, and I don't want people eating my Frosted Flakes. Like, damn it, River, you ate my goddamn Frosted Flakes, <laughs> and not being able to be mad at him because we're all peace-loving. And also, a lot of hugging, too. You're probably a hugger. Though, I am a hugger. Yeah, you emanate, don't hug me. I'm oh, feeling yeah. it on, I, on you I'm right now. I'm glad I do, and I think I do to most people. Why? It, why do, why not ra- radiate some love, Besser? Wouldn't that be Besser? I can love people without <laughs> touching them, though, can't I? Gross. I don't know. No, no, I think you're absolutely right. My brother, for example, is not a big hug person, and I love him to death. And that's just who he is. I want you to be you. I didn't tell you why I hate swimming. I didn't get to it, though. So yeah, I'm in we're the swim meet. Because you're I'm in the swimming. I'm in the meet. I'm losing. I see it's the relay. <laughs> I see that I've lost the relay, yeah. that I'm so far behind, and everyone's finishing first, second, third, fourth. And I'm like, oh, well, it's over. I've lost. So I decided to quit the race and just went over to the side where the little floaty stripes are, whatever you call those. You know what I mean? And I just hung on, like, and I started pulling myself towards the edge. I was like, well, the race is over. No need to keep this straight up. Counselors jump in the pool, pull me off of the floaty stripe. What? Called, the boundary, yeah, and then, <laughs> uh, and then start chanting around me. Swim for Jesus. Swim no, for this Jesus. didn't happen. This and this didn't is happen. Front of parents, children, a huge camp, hundreds and hundreds of people. <laughs> My cabin on the side. Swim for <laughs> Jesus. Swim and me going. <laughs> you know that thing? You start breathing up water and panicking and flailing what? about, doing four different strokes at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Swim for Jesus. You did. That sounds so fucking fake and yet also clearly is true. So I get to the end, cut to uh, like the day later. I'm like, God, I, I fucking, I didn't, no one knew that my dad was Jewish at camp. See, and but- I was starting to feel guilty. I'm like, I lost the race and I started to actually feel like the reason I suck at sports or swimming in particular is because my dad's Jewish. 
and I and I is confessed that to, Katie to laughs. my <laughs> Katie laughs. She's Jewish, and she knows she knows that they're not the favorites of the gym team. Gym team is what I call it. Also points out that I'm not one of the favorites, so it's okay. Gym team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I, so I so I confessed to my friend Ray, and I'm like. I'm Jewish, man, and my dad's Jewish. Please don't tell anyone. You yes. Know? So later we had this thing called devotional before we went to bed. I know bed. what devotional is. Yeah, so everyone yeah. prayed before they went to bed, and you yeah. prayed out loud. When it came to Ray, he was like, Dear God, don't make Matthew go to hell because his dad is Jewish. This sounds like a joke. It's all in the dark, too. All the lights are off, and then the, and there's silence, and then the counselor goes... Uh, Ray, that's not true. Matthew, your your father isn't Jewish, is he? <laughs> oh my! Like, yeah, yeah, he he's Jewish. With the lights off, yeah, yeah. The this voice all, of young Matt Messer pipes up. Yeah, he's yeah, Jewish. He is. Oh my God! Your and voice. He goes, okay, let's let's pray for Matthew's dad and Matthew to not go to hell. That he did not. Yeah. For serious. Yeah, and at the end of camp, Ooh. we had this thing where they showed us. Armageddon films. Okay, and- but we got. Don't jump to Armageddon. I want to. I want to stay on this camp forever. You. You have to understand that I couldn't be more interested in this camp. But okay. don't jump to Armageddon. <laughs> I want to stay in the dark room. Right. This young. He's a volunteer. This counselor. All the counselors. Th- this is a very. If you're from the south, the state of the south, you know about this camp because like everyone at that point from the Southwest Conference. Like if you were an athlete. You would go to this <laughs> camp if you're a big Christian in the summer because it was because they got everything you facilities. need. They got, they got swimming and swimming for Jesus. <laughs> they're, they're blending athletics and the and the Lord. So it'd be the best athletes from wherever Texas or Texas A and M or Arkansas, Missouri. <laughs> this makes your and, swim uh, story so much sweeter because the other kids are just kicking ass. Oh yeah, swimming great. And you're grabbing Here's the Here's another weird strike. aspect of the of the we never no one in the boys camp no one wore shirts all day long. Yeah, There's, is that a, is that an unusual usual thing, buddy? I went to a uh, shirtless Christian all day college. Long. Like a, like I I stayed in this system okay. through my higher education. Right, and the homoeroticism of the uh, men's dorm it was you know w- I'd go toe to toe with any ancient Greek bathhouse. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> nice. it, it would have been better if we were just fucking each other because it was so pent up and weird. Guys putting dicks on your shoulder while you're typing an email. <laughs> Constant nudity. I mean, like, how many times is it funny to go, what time is it? And it's your dick on your wrist. Why don't you just go, will you please suck my watch? And you want to know why I don't like being hugged? Come on, man. You had dicks all over your shoulder. I was humorless about that. See, that's that's the side of me that doesn't like commune. I hated living in a dorm because I hated those knuckleheads. But if it was all my friends, I'd love to eat an orange and roll down a hill with you. I just wanted it to be inclusive. We don't know each other that well. We're not Orange Hill level yet. But this is what is fascinating to me, is yeah. we have a young man in the room who is the Christian leader of this room. Sure. And I, I, I know a lot of lovely, uh, informed, smart Christian people who would be disgusted by your story. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not, not a, a Christian per se anymore. I consider myself culturally Christian, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, uh, the way that people are culturally Jewish. Uh, I look at that and it really bothers me because that person in that moment and your child should have turned on the lights and been like, fuck this. What are you talking about? That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. No, Nowhere in the Bible would it say that you go to hell because your father's Jewish, even if we're going fundamentalist. Well, that's even if we're definitely going a perception with a lot of people that you're going to go to hell. You inherit Jewish. 
he- so fucking because you're not saved. You're going to go to hell. Yeah. Well, no, we're just talking about your blood right now. He said you were Jewish, so you're going to hell. Jewish well, meaning. Well, I think in your to be blood. fair to him, he meant you're not saved because your dad's Jewish. And- it doesn't make any sense. Saved. But- Saved is just something that you uh, pray and you have a special prayer and then you're saved. So what's it matter what your father is? It, it probably – if if he was here, I'm going to argue for him. Yeah, please. He, he would go I, – I, w- I was just assuming that Matthew was not saved and his father was not saved. Oh, I thought because you went to this camp that it was assumed you were a Christian. Everyone's asking you to Everyone's swim for Christian, Jesus. but not everyone's saved. You had, I mean, that was a big thing at the camp. Tell me what that means. Well – and well, it gets to that last day of camp too. Before our parents are going to pick us up, you know, we had all our trunks, and they were like, "Your okay. Jew- your Jewish parents." <laughs> <laughs> Go on. But they showed us these end of the world films, and they're like doc. They're made like documentaries. And right. You're a kid, and you're like, "This is a documentary on how the world's going to end." You don't right. see it as this is. Yes. propaganda and yes. these people's opinions. We saw things like that, too, of people going in elevators down to hell. And, 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 and burning and people yeah. floating up into the air and all this kind of stuff. And they, I forget how long it was, probably half an hour. And at the end of it, they said, okay, now before you go home with your parents, if you've never been saved, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, now is the time. Right. We're going to go around cabin to cabin, child to child. and, give, and uh, I think first they said, how many people in here have been saved? And probably... A third of the camp stood up. And, and so you're then, not standing at that point? No. And not, and not everybody in my cabin is either. Because it was like, in a, it was almost like being, bap, or like, uh, you know, uh, in, in any other religions. Like, it, it's almost like a ceremony. It wasn't just yeah. like something you went, oh yeah, I've been saved. It's like, oh no, you went through the process at your church of yeah. standing up and saying, mm. So I am born again. I understand. That, that to uh, my church, was the baptism. Like, you, you'd get baptized. I, I got mm-hmm. baptized when I was 18, for example, and you literally declared to the congregation, like, I'm with Jesus, and then they dunked me in water. But, like, getting saved, which has always been an interesting thing, because I, I know people that would get saved again and again and again and mm-hmm. again, because that was just a prayer you said. And I remember doing it, and it never felt like what I wanted it to feel like. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So at every time there was some sort of invocation where they're like, would you like to be saved? I'm like, fuck yes, please. let Yes, this time. For real this time. For real this time. And it wasn't even because I was a bad kid. I was still being the same kid. But I wanted some sort of magic twinkling about it that it, that it never, that it never like clicked. Because you felt like you didn't get the magic and you're kind of lying about the other times. Like, I never really felt it, man. Yeah. I mean, like, I think I was constantly... Like, you're the guy who smokes the weed for the first time and he pretends to be high. Yeah, exactly. Actually, Oh, yeah, I got a buzz. Exactly. (laughs) I'm drinking non-alcoholic beer and I'm like, I am so fucked up on this Jesus. They're like, that's apple cider, you asshole. (laughs) But I would. It's fucking... what, What strikes me as really kind of unfair... It is unfair. You're a child. And like you said, they're showing you the Armageddon film. And you're at an age where you think the Terminator robot is real. Right. You know what I'm saying? So then they show you this other film. And then adults, fucking grown people, physically larger than you, older than you, come into your cabin and in front of your peers, your other kitty friends, say, who wants to be saved? 
I, I'm just like, please, yes, what is it you need from me? It has nothing to do with any spiritual truth. It has to do with peer pressure and fear. Oh, yeah. And that fucking, that is Everyone not, was crying, by the way. Of course you're crying. Everyone was crying. You're going to go to hell or you're going to fly up to heaven. Either <laughs> yeah. way, kind of scary. Yeah. Terrifying. What happens to your friends? What ha- Like the guilt of that burden, it's terrifying. And, and what really struck me, the reason I asked if they were volunteers, is these secrets of the universe... Like, I remember, uh, and I think I've said this on the show before, have a drink if you're playing the drinking game. I say that a lot. <laughs> is uh, at my high school, they would protest if my math teacher didn't have her master's. But on Sunday, the secrets of the goddamn universe were being taught to me by some guilty, probably closeted homosexual fuckface who's 22 and read a couple books <laughs> and feels bad and wants to tell me I'm going to hell for jerking off. Fuck you, Mr. Gorman. He's a good guy. But uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's terrifying. I was thinking, I don't even know if this is on the same track, but I was just watching it the other day. I saw that that John 316 guy again. Or it's always a different guy, but I... That, what, at a sporting event? Yeah, and I was like, God, they still have this guy? Or a guy like this is still around yeah. thinking... Who is converted by that guy? Who's like, yeah. I haven't been a Christian up until seeing rainbow hair guy yes. beside... <laughs> it almost... I'm behind the free throw board. I want to... I'm going to look up that... He's right. Bit. He's right. Right. Who's looking up the fucking Nehemiah and the Chick-fil-A cup? I did. It, the passage didn't stir me in the least. Oh, yeah. It was like, go and serve that. fresh chicken sandwiches to your concubine. I believe that's what Nehemiah 3.18. I don't know. So there's Bible verses. Yep. In is in and out does In-N-Out that too? In-N-Out does that as well. In-N-Out. So crazy, but I love In-N-Out. in and out no is problem all, with that. In-N-Out is only in favor of In-N-Out in the confines of marriage. I'm talking about sex. In-N-Out. <laughs> ah, we're riffing. We're riffing bits. In so, as in the closet. Did you ever stand up and be saved? No. I... Uh, I'd been in that camp for years, but that year, for some reason, they had <coughs> ramped everything up because they'd never done that before. And my parents didn't know. My parents were not yes. aware of my what parents was were going also on. not that aware of what was going on at my church. My mom yeah. was like, what's your problem? And I told her all the things that were happening. And she was like, I didn't. Oh, yeah. sorry about that. I told them all this on the way, you know, way home from it. And they were like, what? <laughs> God. Jeez, man, it's like sleepers, and and Kevin Bacon was spiritually raped. We had another. It's this, I'm not sure it's the same year, or the year before. Somebody vandalized someone's trunk. Like some kid broke some other kid's trunk, threw uh-huh. it off a, uh-huh. you know, whatever the porch, and but no one knew who did it. So they got every cabin on the basketball courts. The head of the the head of the whole camp. This guy, uh, I think his name was Joe White. That's said, about right. Said I'm gonna, I'm gonna start. Who would like to confess to doing this crime? And no one confessed. He says, "Okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna start running, and I'm not gonna stop running until someone confesses." This is fucking so fucking insane. So he starts running, and then who know what really happened? But supposedly there was a jeep going down the highway next to him with a walkie-talkie, and updating him on whether someone had confessed and then they would update us on how joe was doing and then the counselors and this was another thing where everyone's crying so the counselors are in front of the camp going joe's running down the highway and he didn't want us to tell you guys this but he has a heart condition and uh running like this and this kind of heat is not good for joe so you need to you need to fess up in front of the lord's eyes in god's eyes 
And of course, all these kids were standing up and confessing who didn't do it. I'm Spartacus. Yeah. So kids are like, I did it. And then the counselor go, no, Jimmy, you were with me. <laughs> leather working. You didn't do it. I did it. I just want Joe to stop running. His heart. And you know, whoever did it was just laughing. There's one kid with jet black hair smoking yeah. a cigarette. Damien. Fucking Damien, will you please confess? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Joe's going to die. We all know it was you. You smell like trunk. <laughs> you smell of trunk. You smell, you, your hands reek of trunk, Totsum. Uh, that is insane. Uh, I, I heard about people that would do crazy stuff like that. I heard about a guy who with his uh, daughter, uh, she she broke something or stole something or whatever. Broke uh-huh. a vase. Who cares? And he says instead of punishing you, I, he took off his belt and started hitting his own Oh my! God. Hitting his own arm. And as he's doing it, how did we fucking pollute – what I think can be a lovely message from Jesus into this. He goes, this is what Jesus did. Like, I'm taking the pain for you. Uh, I get it, psycho. That's a, that's, a, that's a pretty powerful image. But, like, fuck you also. That's traumatic. You're beating yourself. There's got to be a better way. For instance, if I have a kid, which I hope to, I'm going to tell the kid early on, I hate sushi. Yeah. I hate sushi. Uh, it makes me sick. I hate it. So then that's how I'll say, I'm going to eat this sushi <laughs> in front of you. <laughs> no, Whole Matt. baked crab roll. No, not the hand roll. Oh, bring on the Toro. <laughs> I eat this for you. <laughs> how did this... How did this get so far from... I mean, why, didn't, why wasn't it just like someone threw the trunk? Why wasn't it just like, we forgive you? Why isn't it just, we love you? I'm sorry. Like, you threw the trunk. That's not, it's not about us punishing you or, or running for infinity. It's about us being like, hey, man, I'm sorry. Like, it should be a type of environment where you would want to confess or not want to throw someone's trunk. Or detective work to figure it out. Like, <laughs> what true. if the mayor got in front of the city? Someone was shot today. Ha, <laughs> ha, I'm gonna start running. Uh, that so what? Well, that's some good hiking. Keep hiding. running, asshole. That is fair. You know that actually merges nicely. I'd l- we're gonna definitely go back to religion, but that goes nicely because you're an, an improviser. Yeah, uh, you're a comedian of all trades. You do lots of different types of stuff. We always talk about comedy. We usually end on God. Uh, I love talking about. That's why I like. I like. I like it for the. I like how you talk about. You comedy. listen to the show. I've told you I listen to the show. I guess I didn't believe you. I, I listen. Controversy brings me to a lot of shows. Like uh, you had TJ on to address oh, the right. the code of comedy. Yes, which I remember I that. Found pretty awesomely fascinating. You mean hilarious. the Dane Cook thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes. What I missed from that, I think, just almost every podcast I've gone to, the first episode in was because of controversy of some kind. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, uh, but me it too. makes I sense. I started listening to Marin because of the Mencia. Thing. Yeah, me too. Shit, man, we gotta. I gotta like get in a fight with you or something. Our numbers will go way up. Um, but you know what I missed from that? Because I also listened to Joe Rogan's show on uh-huh. the same topic. I did. Too. I wanted a n- one more show, another podcast th- to j- make the judgment, or everybody go out and vote or something. Yeah, yeah. You What's wanted it? some closure on yes, that, like a ref, like somebody to make the call. It's interesting. Yeah. It still hasn't gone fully away. I've seen uh, really? Dane, Dane perform a number of times, and he still kind of references it kind of slyly. Mm-hmm. Not slyly. He just casually is what I meant, not mm-hmm. like maliciously. Mm-hmm. He'll kind of reference, oh, is somebody blogging about this or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. I, I definitely 
see uh, both sides of that issue. What, what, what were your feelings? I definitely saw both sides. I think I, if it had been a vote, I would have been still deciding on the way to the polling Yes, place. interesting. Oh, that's a good kind of controversy. <laughs> Do you want to, for those of you that weren't up on this, is uh, TJ, Dane Cook bumped TJ at the Laugh Factory, and TJ kind of did a lot of tweets about how uh, shitty Dane's set was or whatever. Uh-huh. And like kind of malicious his set was. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that, that really blew up in his face because the Onion AV Club picked it up. And there was also the thing about the aspect of that TJ was being bumped by Dane, too. I thought yeah. that was a huge yes. part of it to yeah. me. So to me, I don't like getting bumped either. Like, I, I don't mind the running order being changed. To me, there's two different things. Yeah. Is the running order being changed yes. or am I getting bumped? Yeah. Because if I'm <sighs> if I'm about to go on, for instance... I You're getting uh, in the zone. I am. I yeah. really am. I it's, not, I it's not some kind of crazy actually way but i am like okay i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this hey man do you mind waiting and then it usually and it's that type of person it usually ends up being a while right it's usually 15 20 minutes like oh well there went that right so i get a little bummed i'm like why can't he go up after me if, if right. he just if he sincerely just walked in then have him fucking going on after me i right. don't care who it is yeah so that gets me pissed too but there is also the thing of well, that's his house. It is and his that house. was his house, and and one could say that that audience. Every time I'm at the Laugh Factory, I would say fifteen percent of the crowd is probably there, hoping they're there because expecting that Dane Cook might right, be there. Right, right, right. So we so owe I totally, him. We owe him so that I crowd. totally get both sides. So to me, what it came down to was TJ did call out a fellow comedian's act, which I think is kind of suspect, especially if they're working it out, but. I see where his anger came from. Right. And to me, it was kind of fighting words. To me, that's what it came down to. It right. was basically TJ throwing out some fighting words, saying, look, motherfucker. Right. And then Dane has every right to come back and go, what, motherfucker? Yeah. That's the way I looked at like it. Like a good old-fashioned scrape. Yeah, it's a like scrap. TJ had every right to go at him in some way. Right. And uh, yeah. Dane had every right to come back at him. And Dane had every right to do what he wanted to do on stage. That That's the most interesting point TJ made for me was that he was like, Dane has every right to go on stage and say whatever he wants. And I have every, and right, I have every to right to be off stage and say whatever I want. But like when you get into the idea of marshalling, I also see the point that I think Rogan was making where it's like you can't marshal somebody. You can't. You can't. Especially in a public way, be like, this guy sucks and he's sucking. Going back to religion quickly, when I was a teenager, I used to, every time we'd visit Boston or San Francisco or some big city, it was like a hobby of mine to go to wherever the square was, wherever the born-agains or cult people, the Moonies, would would hang out, or the Hare Krishnas, and I would just love to argue oh, really? with them. And I'm just this kid, teen, arguing with them. <coughs> From and, what and sense? What's that? From what stance? Because you're not a Christian. You were arguing with them just... I was saying you're a cult. You're brainwashing people. You know, I, I, and I would... Whatever they were saying, I'd logically try to argue the point. And I'd also do things like tell them to shut the hell up. And then I love it when <laughs> anytime you tell someone to shut up and they say freedom of speech, and then you just go back, yeah, but I'm... I got freedom of speech right back at you telling them to shut up. Right. You know what I mean? That's and that's crazy. what it reminds me of. That's it's t- like, I know freedom of speech. I know freedom of speech. You just go, uh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> that's what it is. It's, it's uh, Ouroboros, which comes up on the show a lot. Uh, you just reminded me of when I would be uh, a young man in Harvard Square. I was the opposite. Yeah. Uh, I just would hang out in Harvard Square. I didn't go to Harvard. I wish I had. But uh, I was walking past this, uh, I think it was a Hare Krishna, and he was handing out books, probably the, uh, what's it called? Babudu, Badudu, 
If Duncan was here, he'd know. You don't have to look up, Katie. It's there. It was one of their books. It has a blue elephant on the cover. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and I was and he was like, I'll never forget because he was like, uh, here, take this book. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm a Christian. I I don't I don't want that. I don't know why. You ever say something and you're like. Why did I give him anything? You know what I mean? I should have just kept walking. But on that day, I'm like 15. I decided to be like, I'm a Christian and I don't want your book. And he was like, well, this guy was mad too. For a Hare Krishna, very mad. They're usually very friendly. And he was like, oh, yeah, Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Guess what? He never said that. Like, you can't even argue that. You know what? I think about this all the time. And I was like, oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't know anything about that. And I started walking away. And he goes, yeah, real Christian, walk away. Walk away. Really, like, heckling my Christianity? Because Christians don't walk away? I thought they turned <laughs> the other cheek. Buddy. That, well, I showed him both cheeks. Yeah. Nice. The thing, I, I still think about that altercation and how I wished I had handled it. <laughs> like, because I just the that's other what, day was that's like. That's what drove you to become a comedian. You're like, I'm going to become witty and think of yeah, things to say back to people. That's like and you the, went to witty training. That's the fuck you clown. Do you know that joke? Uh-uh. Fuck you clown's one of my favorite street jokes is where you you set it's one of those jokes where you set it up as long as you can a young boy goes to a circus and a clown sprays water in his face and everyone laughs and he he didn't have anything to say so he devotes his life and this is the part you're supposed to make as long as possible to training and i like to say he went to clown college and he studied he majored in comebacks he was the fastest (laughs) lightning quick responses couldn't couldn't be stopped 34 years old goes back to the same circuits, the same clan is there, same seat, same seltzer bottle, sprays them all over his face. Everyone's looking and he goes, hey, fuck you, clown. <laughs> You're supposed to draw it out as, as long as you can. Uh, that to me is much more fun than any of those aristocrat jokes. Fuck you, clown. Nice. I also called it the fuck you, clown joke, which kind of ruined it. Yeah, you did give me the punchline up front. Sorry, I tipped the bit. Well, this is what I was going to say to yeah. you about what you were saying uh, earlier where you where we were saying, uh, what was it? It was Mayor... Oh, he's gonna. I'm gonna run until the shooter sure, confesses. Sure. What that reminded me of is, see, I've studied through the ECB, of, mm-hmm. of which you are the uh, forefather, mm-hmm. founding father One of uh, the ECB theater, and I'm a big advocate of the theater and the program. I've actually studied at a bunch of places: Improv Asylum. Uh, I studied in uh, Improv Olympic, and then I studied at UCB, and I liked UCB the best. Uh, what you did reminded me of a herald because we're talking about camp counselor will run until boy confesses trunk has been tossed, right? Sure. And then you just probably inst- instinctually went to the second beat of a herald, basically, and you were like, now it's a mayor. It's a d- completely different players, but the mayor is saying until the right. uh, clock face killer comes out, I'm going to start running. Right. You know what I mean? And then, like, and then, uh, so that's interesting to me to see uh, that that is your improv training at work. You're heightening. Yeah, I think I, I was thinking the other day, like how many st- how standups don't realize how close improv and standup is, um, or sketch and standup is, because standups will often they'll, they'll talk about something that everyone relates to, mm-hmm. and then they'll go to an, an analogy to show how funny that thing is, right. That That's would be exactly like exactly what a scene is. Exactly. You, you you think of something funny. You go, "What's analogous to that?" And that's the sketch. So right. You just skip the well. Let's, let's set up. Right. That's exactly right. It's uh-huh. so fi- unifying and beautiful thing to say. When let's talk a little bit about the game. I, I don't want to take people away from the classes. I'd like people to take the classes there. But the idea that the UCB teaches game, and in that in that instance, the game would be. Uh, using exerting effort as as a mean to get someone to confess, you know what I mean. But then there are little smaller things. Is this something that you kind of pioneered? Was this your system of improv? Um, 
Well, we didn't come up. Uh, this guy Del Close invented pretty much long form improv, Did which he is which I is wanted, the opposite well, of like what the short form, which is like on Whose Line is right. the most classic show of that kind of improv. But short form, what's funny about the scene is written into the rules of the of of the game. Long form, you come up with the game on the spot. So right. you're coming up with the rules of what makes the scene funny right. on the spot. So, just, so just that's a, between long form right. and short form. And then when you're doing long form, there's all sorts of different philosophies on how to go about doing long form, as you know from going through three different schools. I bet classes were pretty confusing because of that. That's the experience I had was uh, it, at first I thought, oh, everyone's on the same page of what long form and how to do a scene mm-hmm. as I went through my Chicago training. It took me two years to realize, oh, no, they're all using the same words but meaning completely different things. Right. So I thought it was a failure on my part to understand. And what it was really was is there is no unifying philosophy. They're all words and phrases, yes and or whatever, that people use. Right. But they don't really know what they're talking about know, well yeah well, they don't know you, what they're talking about and, yeah. and i think we or they're or better is they don't they haven't really thought about what they're talking about like uh-huh. they kind of just say yes and and don't really think about what what that means like uh-huh. that's become this knee-jerk thing everybody says about improv oh improv it's yes and actually it's if this unusual thing is true then what else is true right and that's what you do in stand-up if you think about it if you went through your stand-up routine and put that that sentence and subtext to every bit, you would realize it's there. You'd right. be going, oh, if this thing that I'm talking about is true, then what else is true? You, right. you extrapolate, and that's, yeah. what, that's what a bit is, basically. Right. So that's what we decided was the most important thing of improvising a, a scene. We want it to be like, a, at the end of the day, something that could be written up into a sketch. The best improvised scene is something that could be a sketch. Mm-hmm. So if that is true, then you need to focus on one funny thing and heighten it and explore it. Right. <clears throat> a lot of philosophies would say, "Oh, that's just one aspect of improv." We say, "No, that's that's the main. Everything else is decoration or informs that aspect, but that the, is what improv is all about." The heightening of one idea, which is called playing the game. Right. Yes. Finding the game, and once you found it, heightening and exploring. See, it's funny. It. Well, every time you say game, talk about terms not understanding. When I read Truth and Comedy, right, mm-hmm. when I started to try and understand long form just by reading about it, mm-hmm. and w- this is pre-podcast, so I didn't have anything, but I could feel my own confusion of twenty-year-old Pete listening to this podcast. Oh, that's kind of trippy. But anyway, the idea of game doesn't mean like a who's line game. No, that's game. the problem. There's there's little yeah. G game and big G game. Right. It's one of those words. And we're making an improv or writing an improv book right now. And we realize there's too many words that are being used to describe three different things. Really? And we got to come up with a new word to describe this thing rather than using the same yeah, game, phrase. Yeah, game is misleading. Or there's another phrase you hear called uh, play at top of your intelligence. That's yeah. another phrase that people use a lot in improv school and improv teaching. Your character teaching. knows what you know, right? No, that's not it. Well, it is it, but not in the sense of knowledge. Not in the sense of like, if you're playing a doctor, your your doctor knows what you know about being a doctor. <laughs> no, that, that's not it. It's more how you react to people. So if I if if a scene starts and I pull out a gun and I say, "Give me your money," and you don't act scared of the gun, and then you're not acting at top of your intelligence because mm-hmm. normal people 
when they see a gun, they act nervous. Mm-hmm. So if I was a teacher, I'd say, stop, you weren't playing at the top of your intelligence. So mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with the intelligence of trivia and knowledge of, of facts. Yeah. It's, it's of human interaction, of well, how see, you respond right. to someone. Your instinctual intelligence. Almost. Right. So it's, if another way to say is just fucking act real. Yeah. That would be the other way of putting it. <laughs> is that Stop what's acting gonna... phony. You're acting like no one acts in real life. Act right. real. Right. That's the other way of saying it. Yeah. Oh, God. Bad improv. You're, making, you're giving me all these flashbacks of bad improv. Right. I'm There's sure a... this is boring to people who don't like improv. I'm sorry if that Are you kidding? You, We're but... talking about comedy, man. Yeah, we are. We are. But like those phrases are like you. <laughs> if you're not in the improv community, you're like, I've never heard of that phrase or whatever. But there's a lot of stuff like that that's right. very subjective and mean different things at different schools. And right. I think that's why it, it, it's it's hard to learn improv. Let, let's think of a, of a good example of a simple game in a two-person scene would be like uh, every time – I can never think – I actually can't ever think of a good example of a game. But it would be something like every time you – Say something loving to me. I'm mean to you. Okay. That, like, that's a simple game, right? That would be something that we could heighten. Uh-huh. Right? Yes. I mean, I'm just trying to give the listener an idea of what we're talking about. Right, right, right. So we're doing a long-form scene, and maybe there's a suggestion, maybe there's a monologue or whatever. doesn't matter. And then you and I go out. And then in the beginning of the scene, we don't know what we're doing. And then at some point, it kind of presents itself. Right. That's very exciting. That's interesting stuff, watching the improvisers get it. And they go, uh, and the audience gets it, too. They don't even know that they're looking for the game, but the laugh kind of indicates, oh, we've stumbled on something. Well, that's, that's one kind of improv. Well, there's two kinds of improv, long-form improv, organic and premise. Oh, organic boy. is when you just get a suggestion, and from there, you just, like, that one you described could have been, the, the suggestion is date or whatever, mm-hmm. and those two people were out on a date. I find that improv a little harder to do. I'd rather come from an opening, which is what ASCAP? the ASCAP monologue is. Or in a Herald, it's it's all different kinds of openings. But the one I do, I like to hear someone tell, get a suggestion, tell a story. I hear that story. What makes something a story, What the reason it is a story, it's a memory. The reason it's a memory, it sticks out for some reason. Mm-hmm. There's something... That the rest of your days that fell away, this <laughs> stayed there. Whatever that thing is, yeah. there's a scene there. Yeah. There's at least one scene. Uh-huh. Hopefully three different scenes. <laughs> so every story has that one thing that made it a memory. It doesn't have to be funny necessarily. It's just interesting. <clears throat> right. So whatever that is, that's a place to start a scene. And I'm not lost. I, I know exactly where the humor comes from because the audience just heard it. I heard it. We all heard that story and laughed and certain places, those mm-hmm. places that we laughed at the story, those are starts of scenes there somehow. Mm-hmm. So the way we teach improv is hear those laughs, see those parts of the story that are funny. That's an idea for a scene. Whether mm-hmm. it's a f- easy, full-blown idea or just kind of a half idea, like, this mm-hmm. seems like funny territory, let's start here. Or, that was <laughs> obviously funny for this reason. Yeah. Let's start here. Yes. If you listen to my podcast, Improv for Humans, that was what we do. We tell a story, and then the first line of our mouth, uh, we lay out what we call the base reality and the premise. So we let them know who we are, where we are, and what we're doing, and what's unusual. That's on the first line. The other person hears that and goes, okay, I'm just going to play the top of my intelligence. Just uh-huh. be real and react to that. And right. There we go. So it's yeah. easy. Oh, I- All I got to do is be real. He he laid out the unusual thing. I just got to be real and react to that. and. Yeah, you know, 
and yes. not be a dumbass, yes. and then it's easy. Yeah. Versus just starting from a word, and then we got to find something. Right. That's a lot more difficult. You're reminding me, I just did ask out at South by Southwest with uh, Gethard and some other people, which were very, very funny. And I told all these stories about uh, my prom, right? I was telling a story about how I went to prom with this girl, and I was in love with her, and then she danced with this other guy, and then they uh, they ended up getting married, right? Uh, <laughs> The next day. <laughs> but the way I described the guy, I said he, he was a classic American and he looked like uh, Captain America with his mask off, right? Uh-huh. And then Gather did this great scene where he's talking to a police sketch artist uh-huh. and he's saying he looks a lot like, you know, Dr. Doom when he had his cape off and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> like they just did like they, – they took a joke and right. very much like a stand-up would – and and expounded on it almost exactly how it stand up was. Right. Like, not even a story, just a joke. They did a scene based on a joke that I kind of made. They took it, it to the next level. They took it to the next level. Well, that's the A to C A to C stuff. That's another thing that has to be in your book, huh? Yes. Nick Kroll, when I was talking to him, we were talking about how funny your girlfriend has to be. And he was like, I just want my girlfriend to be able to do A to C. <laughs> that's what he said, which I think is hilarious. A to C means if I say uh, balloons, you don't say clown. You think uh, serial killer. Because you go to the next thing. Sure, <laughs> sure. What what it really is, that's another thing that kind of like, because I don't want people to do A to C too much from like, I don't even know where you guys are coming from. Right. The A to C comes from a beginning improviser. If you say uh, assault, they'll say pepper. And it's like, you know what? Right. I know. Right. You don't need to tell me pepper. Right. That's bringing nothing to the table. <laughs> to the season If you table. said, uh, if I, someone said salt and then I went a uh, rap duo. So you see right. their math in their head. They went salt, salt and pepper. Show your work. Rap duo. Yeah, exactly. Right. You don't want to be too bonkers. Actually, right. serial killer from Balloon is pretty bonkers. It's not exactly bonkers, and you don't necessarily have to follow it every time, but that's where that rule comes from. Sometimes people go A to F, or yeah. where it's like, all right, but now you're not helping because I'm not on the same page as <laughs> right, you, and right, I don't right. know. The, the, people need to look at the opening of any improv as like a pitch a pitch session for a, for a sketch show. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not to do a performance art piece and then do some comedy. It's, hey, let's throw around some ideas. What's funny? Right. Oh, that's funny. Let's use that later. Right. That's what the opening is. Right. Opening of a Herald. That's funny because we got the, or su- any improv. the suggestion uh, cold once, and uh, you know it's a group game. We all came out shivering, and afterwards my teacher, uh, Paul Grundy, I remember his name, he goes, uh, that's the last time any of you can do shivering if the suggestion's cold. <laughs> like he, was, he was like very hard but that's on a that. great example. It's like, yeah, we get it, guys. You shiver when you're cold. Yeah, we're yeah. not all third graders up yeah, there. Let's yeah, take yeah. it to the next level. Yes, yes. Well, what is your relationship with stand-up? I see you a lot at uh, at Bang Bang and whatnot, but you're usually mm-hmm. doing a character. I feel like last time we did a show together, you were dressed as a pope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I pretty much only do characters. I, I start out in Chicago um, doing stand-up before I ever did anything. Is that right? I don't know if you know that. but um, I didn't know that. Where out? This is- well, this is 89. So in 90, so at this point, there's 15 comedy clubs in Chicago. Really? There's like Catch a Rising Star was there, uh-huh. The Improv. Uh, there was probably like three Funny Bones. Wow. Uh, oh, I'm thinking Zanies, actually. There's like three Zanies, a couple of Funny Bones, um, one, something called The Comedy Womb. Oh, gross. W-O-M-B. Oh, gross. And uh, that's where Cheech and Chong and Emo and Judy Tenuta all started out, though. So it was a significant club. Yeah. Break your uh, bong water. 
me and Pardo and Jimmy Dore, we all start out at the Comedy Cottage and the uh, <laughs> la- and the Last Laugh. These are so classic. The I names. know it's crazy. Uh, the uh, Chuckle Farm. Per- yeah, all those things exist. Funny Firm, the Funny Firm was one of the biggest clubs and coolest clubs in town. Actually. The Funny Firm. Mm-hmm. So that's why I moved to Chicago. It was it was happening in stand up too yeah. much, really. That yeah. was that was when it was just flooded. Everybody was doing it, and you were doing a typical uh, stand up set. You weren't doing characters. No, I was being completely weird and pissing people off. I, I was into Andy Kaufman and Steve Martin, and that was definitely what I wanted to do. So I'd do really conceptual stuff for uh-huh. better or for worse. Uh-huh. Like I did this thing for a long time where I carried a real toilet around in my car and would carry that up on stage and it was filled with pennies and I would tell people about my penny collection. It was, it, <laughs> I'm, I'm today in 2012, I was waiting for something else. And so was the crowd. <laughs> the crowd was like, surely he's not just going to show us these pennies. But it's just, it's that kind of thing. Like, did it work though? It got laughs. It was either, it either did or didn't. Yeah. yeah. That was usually the way it was. Right. No, either no. I did the best or I did the worst. Yeah. It's like, wow, we're in board with that weirdo. Or what the fuck was that asshole yeah. doing? It's hard to do that that wacky stuff, man. A lot of people were trying, even when I was in Chicago. It's it's a lot harder than it looks. And those guys are good pinch hitters. They're good, like, relief pitchers. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a sports person. But, you know, <laughs> they're good people that play in the middle of the skirmish. Mm-hmm. If you opened, if you went up first, no fucking way. Yeah, I cleared. I, I walked the room a couple of times. Really? Because when you start out, you're an MC. Different cities were different. And yeah. In Boston, if you're an MC, you're the best guy in town. It was your show. You're the MC. In Chicago, if you're an MC, you were just beginning. Yeah. There was an MC, an opener, middle, and the, the headliner. Mm-hmm. And I was fucking MCing. I was doing well enough to MC, but nobody who wanted me as the MC, no. who wanted it's Andy Coffin going up first and doing some weird thing. Man, I still think about that sometimes because there were guys that were really, really funny. And then the the system, the way the system works is if you're doing well on these showcases where you're going in like ten deep, let's give them a shot. Right. How do we give you a shot? Open. You're going up the guy that's normally like, how you folks doing tonight? Any birthdays? Look at this bachelor party. Now you're toilet penny guy. Right. It's going to fail. How many comedians have been assassinated by this system? That's why the Boston system was better. Yes. They, the, the, you were coming to the see Anthony Clark's show. Yep. And he was the host. They do this. And he would bring up people like mm-hmm. his buddies or whatever, supposedly. I, under, I think they do that in uh, Great Britain as well. Uh-huh. I believe that it's like... And actually, that's something I used to tell myself. A lot of comedians listen to the show. If anybody's listening to the show on their way to MC at a club, I always used to tell myself that it was my show. You, you know what I mean? Like, that was a good mindset to get into. I'm not right. the MC, like, poor me. I'm like, no, this is my show. I'm inviting the guest, Brian Regan. You know what I mean? Like, he's my guest. I got him to come on my program. Uh, that's that's super fun. So now you're not doing your pennies anymore, but you go up as the Pope. Yeah, I like to do characters. Um, you don't have any yearning for that kind of Louis C.K. model of like, hey, I'm Matt Besser, I'm going to show you my, my balls, you know, like I'm going to show you my soul? Well, that that religious show I did about five years ago, that's the only time I've really done that. Yes. That was all about my family. Um, so you kind of dumped it all out. Uh, yeah, but I guess my sense of humor... And what I've always found, and I find I, I like 
I did my thesis in college on Lenny Bruce. I like that kind of humor. Mm-hmm. I, I listen to Howard Stern every morning, which is basically that's what that is. But uh, that's not what I think I do well. That's like, great. I, I don't think that's where my humor comes from is exposing myself. What well, a, I know it's not. Yeah. Um, I like to do conceptual things. And back to what you're saying, I like to just inhabit the metaphor. Like I, instead of... What do you mean? Here, I'm trying to explain it. Um, like you said, you, we don't you really do stand-up, but you do characters. But if I went up on stage just as myself and said, ah, did you guys see the Pope? is? Uh, he was in <laughs> Cuba this week. You, you guys know that guy was a Hitler youth? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like this. And then I launched to the character, am I a stand-up now? <laughs> because I set it up, <laughs> but I, you know what I mean. I do know a what lot you mean. of stand-ups. That's what they're doing. Yes, because they set it up and then they do the metaphor. They set it up and then they do the analogy or the right. extrapolation. I'm just coming on and as starting the as the metaphor. I'm starting yeah. as the extrapolation. Right. The setup. So is... to me, I'm still doing stand-up. I'm doing jokes. I'm not doing like a Lily Tomlin, fully developed kind of three-dimensional one person play kind of character. I don't yeah. do those kind of characters. I do yeah. characters that almost are like characters doing stand up yes. in a way. Yes, you do. When do I'm that. the Pope, I'm kinda working the crowd and I have I have jokes. I have prepared jokes. Right. You know, I'm not like Well you have really strong jokes. There I, I you don't have an inferiority about not being considered a stand up. Oh, please. Everyone on your podcast has an inferiority ah. about something. <laughs> is this yours? Is, isn't that the takeaway from all podcasts? Is we have- there should be a respectometer on every podcast because <laughs> I think ultimately that's what every comedian is looking for. Respect? Respect. Whether they're interesting, whether they're rich or poor or famous. They want to be not. legit. You know, it's interesting that you say that. I always said that I wanted access too. What what really turns me on is access is the idea of going to UCB mm-hmm. and going into the green room. I want that. Right. In fact, one of the worst fucking nights of my well, this is one of my worst show business nights. I went to UCB in New York and I was backstage and it was Ask Cat and I forget who it was. I think it was like uh, Rachel Dratch and Polar was there and mm-hmm. it was like fun. It's cool. I'm not here to say that that's not cool. Mm-hmm. You sit there. This was years ago, so it was an even bigger deal. And I was like, ooh, rubbing elbows with the SNL people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then, like, uh, I won't say who it was, but this guy. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> this guy, who may or may not have a beard, uh, came up to me as I was leaving and was like, "Just hey, Pete, just so you know, uh, we're trying to be better about like letting people back there that aren't on the show anymore. Like, we, like you kind of can't be back there if you're not on the bill. And I, my dick went inside my body. Like, I was so humiliated. That's when I realized that is like the most important thing in the you world. You gotta to let me. people know that UCB is so not that way, though. Oh, UCB is not that way. Like I, that sounds like one guy or one went, night. He went rogue one night, and 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 after that night, I continued going back in the green room. Right. I mean, like I. I wish I could have seen the look I gave him. It was. It, I didn't say, "Do you know who I am?" I'm not that kind of person. Mm-hmm. But I bet my stupid face did. I bet my face betrayed just how upset I was. Did, do you know who I am? I I I, I live in uh, near Universal City. I do my exercise walk up the big <laughs> hill to Universal City, where uh-huh. John the John Lovett's club is. Yes. So every once in a while, I'll stick my head in at at night. You yes. know. 
and nothing pisses me off more than yeah. being treated like a customer. And who am I? Why yeah. should they recognize my face? Uh, but I, I know. <laughs> but I know that comedian side of me is just like, oh, I'm a comedian. I'm not. Yeah. Pain to stick we, my head in here and talk mm, to my buddy. It's it's embarrassing, but it's real. It's something that I want people to not feel alone. I here are two things that are true. I don't think I'm an entitled person or a proud person or an asshole. Uh-huh. But I have entitled asshole feelings. You know what I mean? Sometimes I will be like, "Fuck you, man. This is my theater. I perform here all the time for free. This crowd is partially mine." Right. Do you understand? And I'll go in the green room anytime I fucking want and you'll thank me for making your green room cooler. That's part A. Part B is I'm a little boy and I'm so sorry. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I don't think it makes me a dick to have a dick thought, is what I'm saying. Does it? No. I, and look, man, <laughs> a lot of people are funny because they were very insecure at some point in their life. And this is yes. how they, they battled that. And that's what brought these skills. But the insecurity yeah. doesn't go away. We just have skills at least to outward. Mask it. Mask it and outwardly deal with it. Right. But, I, you know that's why I enjoy listening to your your podcast and Marin's and all these uh, comedians and and just hearing like wow even the most successful they're still they're still very whether they're saying it outwardly or yeah. it's in the subtext of what they're saying being respected yes is so part of it I mean look Huge. at look at that Dane and TJ thing like Dane was he's he's as, as top as you can be. S- money and success mm-hmm. and people fan wise but he's still he's very insecure about how the rest of the comedy community right views him those intangible TJ, things yes. he sounds a little insecure about how if you want to call him club comics view him right that's what the vibe i got from him we all and that's- so I, I felt from everybody a little thing like Look, respect that I, you know, I could, I do it too. Yeah. And that's what's fun about it. That's respect. what's fun when people get their toes stepped on and yeah. people start to talk about it. Like, I wish you hadn't named who the bearded guy was. Like, I like it when people get called out. It's like, look, man, this guy <laughs> told me not to be in the green room and I should have been in the green room. I belong there. I liked, uh, I told you. <laughs> To listen to that Bill Burr episode yeah. last week. Did you listen to it? I didn't. I haven't had time, but I, I was saying we could talk about it anyway. But it's it's really great, and I like... That's Wait, why I like his podcast, yeah. too. Um, Monday morning? I like it when someone is going to have a strong opinion that are going to ruffle some feathers, even if I don't agree with You're, it. That's I, a page I like, right out of my own book. I love strong opinions. I, yeah, it gets me just, in trouble because on the show I agree with everybody just because I'm so intoxicated by someone that's like, fuck it, man, this is what's real. And I'm like, uh-huh. ah, yeah. And then someone will come and say the other thing, and I'll be like, yeah, I agree with you too. That's why I want closures when I hear both sides, and I want one more yes. so they get yes. together and they can actually well, tell talk me what, together. But Tell me what Bill said. Or in your, oh, what did it mean? Uh, well, to it was you? just inter- I just liked that he he has a bugaboo about. I don't want to speak for him, but what I what I what I got from it was um, he feels that alt comedians and I'm uh, taking parents. his definition of what that is. I think mm-hmm. that means comedians that only perform not at real clubs where you get paid, but just rooms. Is that what it is? Just rooms. Yeah. So they never really have to experience how difficult the those clubs can be and maybe in particular what the road can be. Yes. So and this is where I kinda I'm not sure what he meant, but so therefore they're not comedians or therefore they're not 
true stand-ups or therefore they'll never know what it is or therefore they make soft comedy. I'm not sure where he... I didn't follow out that, and that's where I'd love to have him here or wherever so I can ask that. Yeah, But I do agree that alternative comedians do... uh, This is what I don't like about alt comedians is when they get so ironically detached are so comfortable mm-hmm. with the room mm-hmm. that they're they're not they're not working at all there's no effort i they're know just, exactly they're what you just mean. fucking talking right and i feel like what are we all doing here man it, is this a therapy something. session or are we really right. trying to work when i some material i don't know if the, i don't know i don't think that's what bill was saying i think he had other problems no but let's, that's let's that's you my, and I talk that's about my it. problem you and i can talk about it bill's right. not here but when i'm look we're at meltdown and it's my home and uh, that's what, what, who was it? I think it was Gaffigan or Burr, or Burr that said this. It's like performing for people that share your exact worldview. I look out in the crowd, it might as well be 300 me's. Right. You know what I mean? I'm like, we all have the same references. We all care about the same things. We all have the same fucking phone. You know what I mean? We have the same phone, everybody mm-hmm. in this room. So then you, when I go to a club, if I'm at the improv or something, it always really bothers me as somebody who tries to straddle the line. Who, who, who I'm going to say I do straddle the line. I do the Laugh Factory. I do the improv. I do all those mm-hmm. things. I do the road. And then I also do Meltdown. And if I'm at the improv and one of my uh, alt, alty room brothers, let's just say room kind of people, comes in and tries to pull a Meltdown, tries to go up and just like fucking not trying no effort no charisma no riffing I'm not even saying you need to come up and hit them with a one liner but they don't have any chops it always embarrasses me and then the club guys always like some of them don't know that I do the rooms and they're like these fucking alty guys coming in here fucking shitting on the stage I could have gone up there and I would have destroyed with my and I'm always like yeah we, uh, we, we do have a bad rep and some and some of it is earned because it is that meandering bullshit stuff that doesn't have any backbone. You need to do both. I've said it a thousand times on the show. If you want to be a real comedian, fuck yeah, you should be able to go up at the Laugh Factory. Here's where I, I, I thought well. Bill was mistaken, though, and he's painting broad strokes as he says to to make points. But he he says that all comedians all these years have looked down on the club comedians. And called them hack. I I don't I don't think that's I don't true. think that's true. I, I think I don't think personally. I have tons of respect for anyone who can go on the road to that kind of crowd, go to a rock festival crowd and do something. There's some road comics who can't do that, right? And some all room guys who can right. do that, right? So there's different skill sets, Absolutely. for different spaces guys- and different respect. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. When I think, I don't think club comedians. I think hack comedians, and not all club comedians are hack. Right. And a lot of all com- just as many well, alt comedians are hack as why, there are club. That's why so we call me, it alt it's, hack. It's a new thing. The right. alt hack. So it's, guy. it's 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 people who try and are working and doing right. something new, and people who aren't. And that's, people that's who are the division, and people who are funny. People who are funny. That's why Bill, it's so funny that he's the mouthpiece for this. Someone who's widely embraced. He's embraced at Meltdown. He's embraced at Whiplash. People want him to come by UCB. You know what I'm saying? It's interesting to me that there, here's the problem. You go out on the road. This is the dichotomy, I suppose. I'm saying you should be able to go and do the Laugh Factory. You should be able to go and headline a club or something or middle a club. That's true. What do you mean by should? Should or else what? If they don't, then what? Like, I I respect it if they can, but why should? That's a great question. 
And you've because then you, you really get turned the, it around. Then you on get me. the stand up stripes. Yeah. Well, what? It, then I think you get the respect that well, I think that's we're what all I'm trying to go it's for. Come down to it comes respect. down to respect. Yeah. It comes down when I do well in a club. If I'm on a lineup, day, I went up after Dane just uh, two nights ago at the Laugh Factory, and it fucking does me well to go up on stage following Dane and doing very well with the same fucking set I do here because I'm funny. Not because I'm clubby and not because I'm alty, but because I can bring what I have to sell. Nothing should feel better to you than being able to pull that off. If I can pull off the same set at the UCB that I can at the improv, then that's a solid fucking set. Right. And that means it's funny to all people. Yes. But there's also, I think I could... I could find – it would take a while, but I could find sets that I th- are characters. Like I think yeah. my Pope could work at the improv if introduced into the, into yeah. the show in a, in a if you're not respected ho- way. Yeah, if you know you're not hosting mean? too. Yeah, that would not work. <laughs> they could put you up in the middle. But I, I don't know. And maybe my Pope works better at a music concert than their observational humor does. Right. But then maybe – their set works better to an older crowd but at a sporting event better. You know what I mean? It's here's just the different. De- the defense of the alt scene and the and the rooms and the UCB, that incubating, that incubating leads to some very interesting, wonderful stuff that just wouldn't have been allowed to grow in a club where it's like, you better be fucking funny. The places that will allow you to meander and be slow and, and kind of find it, like UCB, like where we are right now, that fosters a great other kind of comedy and that and that needs to be respected the trouble is and this is my last point about club guys is one thing that i think people like me do look down about club guys and i'm not even talking about la clubs i'm talking about guys that work the road and do one-nighters and bars and shit and you can feel that road on them i will always say that that's not necessarily a good thing you're a product of your environment and if you if your environment is knuckle nutters in Indiana on a Tuesday, and you learn how to kill there, that's probably a bad thing. Also, if that's if you've been doing this, to me, it's more about are they doing that same set year after year? Yes. And I saw them two years ago and they were doing that same joke. Right. That's why I don't respect them, but that to me has nothing to do with road or club. It's just they're a comedian who isn't growing or right. trying. And-, and there's a certain amount of detachment from your material. You become like a traveling salesperson that just does the act sort of thing, right. and you do that to survive. And my heart goes out to those guys, some of them listening to this show. They have to go and grind it out because they want to make that happen. I would say it's better to work at Starbucks and work in, in good rooms than to make a living uh, at at whatever. Well, that's the other thing. How many of these alt rooms are actually good rooms? Yes, the, this one we're above right now is is a good room. The UCB is a good alt room, but so many of those alt rooms are can be nightmares. Yeah. man. I don't find a room filled with just comedians is a good room. No, like I don't I don't like doing those. There, there's a certain amount of chop earning in doing well at, at, a, at an alt room. Absolutely. When I first got to LA before the theater was open, I I did a, a few rooms, and there was this one that was in the back of like a, a Thai restaurant or something like that. It was a little room in the back of a Thai restaurant. When you get on stage, when I got on stage, I stood up in front of the mic and this lamp or this <laughs> light fixture from the ceiling was so close to my head that my head was in the light fixture. <laughs> I was like, Where, what the fuck am I doing? Where am I? You're an Egg McMuffin. What the fuck am I doing? Where is this? And that was a nightmare. And I'm yeah. not on the road, but that was a fucking nightmare. Yeah, sure, sure. We all, we've, we've I showed all... up to a coffee shop when I first got here that was basically an open mic. I was like, hey, can I do some time? And the woman said, uh, 
oh, wait, I recognize you. You're from Upright Citizens Brigade. I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks. She's like, yeah, I used to love that show. Mom, thanks, thanks, thanks. Can I, so can I get up tonight? She's like, well, you're going to give need to give me a tape, and I'll look at your tape. What? I'm like, I got to give her a fucking <laughs> tape to go up at an open mic at that's a small your... coffee shop, and she recognizes me. Uh, that's your what do you know hell? who I am moment. Yes, You just exactly. had a lack of respect moment. Yes. You were disrespected. down to. That's another way that comedy is just like the mafia. I've said this a million times. We have this countercultural lifestyle. We keep really weird hours. We love breaking balls mm-hmm. and eating at 2 a.m. and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it's a, a, and everybody's very aware of the hierarchy. Like, Louis is the godfather. Like, the respect that is given amongst ourselves. And also just we're obsessed with being disrespected. You know yeah. what I mean? Do you know who this is? This is Bessie Two Fingers. You know what I mean? He'll break your legs. You want to break that woman's legs i want to bring this back to the thing that i'm so the one of the main reasons i wanted to have you on can we talk about del close too did you study with del yeah yeah um we were his first group for him to direct actually really um you and he started the improv olympic Uh, the the name of it was the family ian roberts um neil flynn adam mckay yes some other guys um, but we can we give a little uh, back as to who Del Close is? He's never come up on the show before. Really? Isn't that weird? He is. He's one of those guys that if you do comedy, you probably know about him or heard about him. Yeah. And if you don't, you have no idea about him. And that, that's right. kind of the, tra- the tragedy. Yeah. But uh, I let when I was in Chicago, I had like pretty much just missed him or right. whatever. And I've actually I still have this resentment. Towards people that like studied with him because people would say point blank, they're like, yeah, if you didn't study with Dell, I mean, like, <laughs> sorry, like you just missed it, man. Like no one will ever explain it like him. Yeah. I, it's like I climbed the mountain and the guru was gone and all I wanted to be like, fuck you, man. There'll be somebody else. Like I'm very bitter about it. Oh, but there's, he, he there's was this guy. Peter, Paul's and Matthew's and sure. around. Yeah, sure. Um, it, he was a mad genius in the truest sense of what that phrase means yes you know he was he did heroin and he was <laughs> high and had a terrible smoking habit and was misogynist could be racist but like all that stuff was just kind of being like a hellraiser and kind of just being an experimenter with life in general yeah so just in general outside of comedy he was just kind of a madman he was trying to incite things but he's well read he was always reading less science fiction um just loved knowledge and and loved improv and he made improv into a performance it was second city used it as a tool it was considered a tool for coming up with the right. sketch scenes and even before I lived in Chicago, I'd never heard of improv. I guess I'd heard the word, but I didn't really understand what it meant. When I moved there, it was like, oh, yeah, Second City improv. Well, not really. Second City only does improv at the end of their long set, and then they it's not even really – it's kind of quasi-long right. form at that. Right. Back in the day, I'm speaking. And um, they didn't do long forms. They didn't do improv as its own performance, and the – and this guy, Bernie Sollins, uh, who is a leader over at Second City, and Dell had these philosophical debates of, yes, it can be an art form. No, it can't. It's a tool for another art form, you know? Right. And so Dell went off on his own, and uh, Sharna hooked up with him, and that became the Improv Olympic. And, yeah. And from there, they invented the Herald, which is the most famous long form. Right. But... uh 
yeah, the basic philosophy is improv can be a performance in itself, and that right. he was the guy to make that happen. Yes, that's really interesting. And did you study with him specifically? Did he ever? Yeah, he directed throw any chairs he, at he, you or anything. He was always. He wasn't that kind of. Uh, I heard him throwing chairs at somebody. I never heard that. He would more eviscerate you with his tongue than actually. <laughs> God. Than actually. That he, sounds worse. Yeah. He <laughs> that could, sounds he worse. Could cut well, he's you a to scary looking man. Yes, could... he was. <laughs> he had glasses and in a. In that f- last scene, you uh, <laughs> stuck a sandwich in the mouth of your partner and never allowed them to speak, showing a total lack of trust. <laughs> And showing that you are not good with other people, like you just. <laughs> but he would say that's something. He basically said that to me once. I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> Did you I literally totally get what he's saying now? And uh, I will change as a result of yeah. him explaining it to me that yeah. way. Yeah, that was great. That's what I liked about him because yeah. he would just tell you something. Totally lay it out. Well, there were much... so many touchy feely, like every improv's great. Yes, there was so much of that going on. I was just talking to Gethard about this. Gethard taught my level three, and and not to say my other uh, improv teachers weren't great. They were. Uh, it, it they were wonderful. Lennon was my level one, and she was the best. And uh, Zach, uh, what Zach? He's on the office. Zach Woods. Sim? Woods. Woods. Zach Woods. Level two, these are great people. Right. And then, but level three, both Gethard. NBC stars now. Yeah, they both are NBCs. And then level three is Gethard. And Gethard was the first, because I think it was level three, he stopped taking our shit. It was so awesome. Mm-hmm. He started being like, uh, you're a sexy person in every scene. Stop doing that. Right. And I was like, fucking thank you. Because it wasn't <laughs> my first rodeo. I was waiting for someone to tell fucking Linda or whatever her name was, stop being a whore in every scene. That's right. all you got. Show us anything else. Be be some, be a Mormon. Be somebody that like uh, or you know a eunuch for a lady, a lady eunuch. Yeah, I, I like it. I like that. About, I like that about our school. That it is like college. Like the first couple level, first level very supportive. You know, yes, not much criticism. Second level, pretty damn supportive. But then when it gets in your third and fourth and right. fifth, then it's like college. It's like if you're yeah. not doing well, we're gonna let you know, and you're not gonna go to the next level. Right, if you're not learning but it. every school says they'll do that and no, none of them none of the other ones did it i know i was in i was in uh io I, i'm not shitting on io but at io i remember i was in level three and i was still with these same fucking idiots and like, it slows you down it slowed us all down and it you know i would have been okay and it's not like i was a genius i, I had a lot to learn but they were slowing down my learning because this person literally I think I, I've maybe said this on the show before, but I'll never forget. All my bad improv memories are like burned into me forever. And I said to this woman, I said, uh, you know, Julie, we've, we're really happy that you're our babysitter. But I got to tell you, we've had nanny cams in these, uh, in these teddy bears this whole time. So we need to talk. And she said, that's funny because I took all the tapes out and erased them. Okay, so this was level three, oh and it was like the most. It was like driving eighty miles an hour into a wall. And I think in the scene, I think I looked at the teacher, like I just, I didn't know what else to do. But I turned to the teacher and was like, "Can you fucking kick this person out? I know she gave you three hundred dollars, but I'll give you three hundred dollars. Kick her out, please. Kick her out." We do do that. Yeah. I mean, if that if that becomes a problem, because it's like a. Someone in a college course, if someone was stupider than everyone else, was slowing everyone down, asking dumb questions, you'd have to go, "Uh, I'm not sure how you got to this level, but we're going to send you back. Yeah, you got to beat it. Uh, Okay, well, you didn't, Dell didn't throw any chairs at you, but he did teach you. Uh, Yeah, he, he, and you loved him. 
everybody yeah he was a crazy experimenter like every he didn't teach a class like last class we worked on this and now right. we'll work on the next thing right. it was always he couldn't even remember what we did last class because he had other classes and we did we just all kind of ran together right you know, it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> and so it'd be whatever he read that week. I was reading a William Gibson novel on cyberpunk, and here's in my new cyberpunk form. And <laughs> we haven't even learned how to do a scene yet, and we're doing his crazy. That was the negative part, was like th- there wasn't like this clear ladder of learning to right. to walk up with Dell. Um, it was just being involved in his experiments, right. whether you got it or not. He sometimes was like a, it didn't work, and sometimes it did. He was like a mushroom trip. You'd go in, and hopefully you'd get something out of it when you came out. But it was a man. Yeah. What a, what a funny thing. Uh, well, I, I, this is the thing that I really wanted to have you on the show about, was your one-man one, one man show, which you – didn't you tackle every religion? Is this correct? It's funny you say something about throwing chairs. The only time I have had a chair <laughs> – and I'm connecting everything now, too. <laughs> another thing Bill talked about was heckling in the road. There's a lot of heckling. And that, that, that made, and I was thinking, I'm like, because I've done the road, and I've, as both a stand up in my early days and now as an improviser or even doing one man shows. And the worst stuff's happened in LA. Like, I once had a chair thrown at me by an audience member when I was doing the Pope, as a matter of fact. Really? Yeah. I, what? I was, uh, the bit I, I was it wasn't part of the written bit. It was something about the fact that I was talking about the down low and different levels of being on the down low, not admitting you're gay and mm-hmm. being in the Catholic Church. And I was like, and the Hispanic um, and the Hispanic Catholics are on the the biggest down low. The only the only way they can be gay is to like Morrissey. There's some joke on that, mm-hmm. you know. And this Hispanic guy, who's obviously Catholic, got up in the middle of the room and threw a chair up on stage. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. It was crazy. You said that a Latino Catholic can't be gay. The closest they can get to that is liking Morrissey. It, it was more ext- longer and extrapolated. About the basic area I was in is the, which is true. Uh, Hispanics are terrible to, to the Hispanic culture is terrible to gays. It's just it's just true, right? And I'll argue that with anyone. <laughs> I um, actually don't know if that's true, but it, and the second worst I would say is African Americans. Well, I mean, it's being in the on the down low in those cultures is a much bigger deal than in white culture. I, I remember I a friend a friend of mine went to a gay wedding. I believe in Massachusetts, and and there was a uh, uh, it was two men, and it was a black man and a, and a white man, and there there the one side was all white people, and then the other side was like pretty much empty. He was like there were like no black. People that's there. sad. It, that's of course, it was sad. very sad. No, I, I wasn't looking for a laugh. That's, no, that's, I know that's, that's I, a but, tragic story. But that's something that you know I think is a funny thing to explore and sure. make light of. Well, and it's sh- funny that so many Hispanics, uh, even gangbangers, are into Morrissey, who's this right. Feminine. I, I don't know. I think there's something funny in there, and yeah, uh, most of the audience is that laugh. true? They're into Morrissey. Oh, you don't know about that? No, oh, they yeah. love Morrissey. Oh yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> Watch a Morrissey concert and look at look at the front row. Really? Yeah, that's crazy. It'll be actually Chris Gethard and I was just gonna say this goes back together. <laughs> this is this whole interview is becoming a Harold. It is, man. <laughs> Got to connect the find it. Connect the find strings. It. Uh, well, oh, we're talking about your one man show, though, right? Um, but what about it? I asked if is, is was I misinformed? You talked about every religion. 
Yeah, that that's was right. My goal. That was my goal. That's really interesting to me. So you know a lot about. But it's not like I broke down every religion in some intelligent way. I, it, it was basically about my family and the, the the problems. The Christian side hated the Jewish side, and that mm-hmm. was a big deal to my parents. Wait, that's and, true in yeah. your in your family. Yeah, the, the Christian Christians side hated. hated the, and that's why we went to that camp I was telling you about. They that my grandparents didn't want me to go to hell. Like they hoped that me being saved at this camp would keep me from going to hell. And they sent they sent you your grandparents. Yeah, they paid your for Christian it. grandparents paid for it. And my parents had they knew it was Christian yet they didn't know how crazy in that direction it was. And oh it did get God. worse every year. But uh, <laughs> as you would go back to this fucking hell camp, you're like, this is worse than last year. Yeah, they're gaining strength. Go look them up on the online. If it, it, it all connects to like the Promise Keepers, you've heard of them, uh-huh. right? Sure. They're all connected. They're all connected. <laughs> so your, and, but my, my the big focus was separation of church and state, which, and and how that, and how that related to my family and, and my life, because hmm. I'm just fascinated with that kind of stuff. Did you do you know the um, if you're not from Los Angeles, there's this cross, um, in between the valley. And Hollywood, if you want to yeah, go, if, if you want to go from the valley to Hollywood, you go through the, you go on the 101 through what's known as the Coanga Pass, and up on this hill, as you enter Hollywood, above the John Ford Theater, is this large cross. It's a white cross, right? A big white cross, eighteen foot high cross that um, has been there since 1920, and uh, it's lit at night, so you can't miss it. Mm-hmm. And I was all, and I'm always fascinated. It's kind of a hobby of mine, or crosses that are just out that are not connected to a church and just kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's yeah, like why is wayward this big crosses. cross here? And in it's always wild. and the story behind it is always insidious. Really? Yeah. What is the story behind it's that? It's always one? some evangelical organization trying to make some comment. Um, is but that what in that this one case, is? yeah. Well, it started out back in the twenties. This woman's. Um, this uh, some Christian woman. She wanted to start a, a theater where she would put on this play. It was called the Pilgrimage Play, and it was like a passion play. It was mm-hmm. about Jesus, and they put it on every Easter. And this is when there weren't roads and stuff, so there was a big theater there right below that where that cross is now. She died eventually, and a cross went up, a small, reasonable cross <laughs> in in her memory. Right, she died, and that theater existed. A and it reasonable was in her, cross. <laughs> I mean, like two feet high versus sure. eighteen feet and right. blowing. So that that cross was there. I'm making a very through history thing. John Ford Theater was built. Now it's owned by the city, and it's no longer no longer uh, a church owns this property. Mm-hmm. So then they took down the cross. That t- that pissed off a lot of Christians. Like, hey, what happened to that great cross? <laughs> so then. The city sold <laughs> one was- acre on top of this hill, the one acre that surrounds the cross, to a church. And this is probably in the 60s or something. And since the 60s, that church is, it was wood, it burned down, it got vandalized, it got put back up, it tore down again, it was concrete, it came down, it gets bigger and bigger through the decades, <laughs> to now it's 18 feet and glowing. <laughs> And owned, and that property is owned by. Oh, and that cross was in the Los Angeles Seal for a while. It was, yeah, until people said, "Wait a minute, separation church and state. You can't have a religious symbol in a yeah. in a city seal, right? You can't have a religious symbol on city property, right?" So now, one of the biggest evangelical 
uh, it's called Church of the Way. I forget the guy's name, John Jack Han- Hayford or something like that. Uh-huh. He's one of the. He's like Ted Haggard. He's one of those type of guys. But if you think about, and they say this is an anti-gay church. This is an anti-abortion. This is um, a church that supports the Christian coalition. Focus mm. on the family. And they say the purpose of the of what do you think they say the purpose of the cross is? I, based on where it is. Based on where it is? Well, I would just imagine that's to fill our uh, hearts with the hope of the Lord. But where in particular is it? It the overlooks Hollywood. Yeah. It overlooks Hollywood. It's to counteract the sins of Hollywood. That's why they have that's it. That's what there. they said? Yeah, that's why it's there. And what do you think that really means? Gay people? Jews. Oh Jews. <laughs> Gay. We own Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> it's to counteract the sins of Jewish-owned Hollywood who doesn't support <laughs> Christian morals in the media. Okay. That's what, all about. That's what it all comes back to. And everyone's like, oh, look at that nice glow-in-the-dark pretty cross. <laughs> oh, really? Well, that cross represents everything you don't believe in, and it hates you. <laughs> so it's just some symbol up on a hill to you, but it means so much more to them. Yes. You- <laughs> oh, why don't we put, let me take down that cross and put up a nice glowing star of David. How long would that last? The 18-foot-tall glowing star of David over Hollywood. How long would that be up there? Not a week, my friend. Let's put a big glow-in-the-dark picture of Allah up there. How long would that last? Or the Not mo- six hours, my friend. <laughs> Don't they have a moon? Oh, but they a have cross. a moon symbol. That, that's, oh, that's that funny. nice, beautiful cross. It's so funny, man, because you're reminding me of the people that used to steal like our manger scene. Like I grew up in Oh, Lexington. that was me for sure. Yeah, you sound like one of those people that would steal the, steal the baby Jesus. And put something else there. Yeah. We, we had this uh, statue of Jesus holding... Or, no, I think it was a saint. It was a saint holding a big cross, but the, 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 the <laughs> statue was made out of some stone or plaster, but the cross is made of iron, so it, you could lift it out of the saint. So our thing was to always steal the cross and put a real estate or a Republican <laughs> election sign in his hands. <laughs> You're a prankster. You're a church and state prankster. So let me ask you this. This is interesting. I know you're an atheist because it says atheist on your fucking Wikipedia page, which I find crazy. I get – I had – you know the, the fuck God, the God hates fags people? Yeah. They single me out in tweets every once in a while because I'm on some atheist list. Really? <laughs> Isn't that funny? I'm on a celebrity atheist list. So they'll tweet at you? Yeah. I watch. I, I can't uh, think of an example, but it's like, that's why the – Hurricane happened at Matt Besser, <laughs> atheist. It's like, what? But I love it. It's like, oh. You would love it. That is... Facts people hate me. The Tebow people hate me. Tebow people hate you? Yeah. Why? Are you militant or something? I don't know. Militant? Are you outspoken? Well, against Tebow, too, but yeah, for the same reasons. Tebow. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about Tebow, but I know you know he prays and, and he very wears uh, Jesus on his sleeve and throws some touchdowns. He's a focus on the family guy. Yeah. And uh, well, let me ask you this. If Tebow, uh, you can't deny as an improviser, someone who knows a lot about group mind and knows a lot about, you know, melding into one thing uh-huh. and, and a team and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. that can feel very spiritual, 
when you're doing improv. Like a wonderful Oh, yeah. I believe can, in the group mind without question. And I believe like, in karma. Can I be an atheist and believe in karma? Yeah, man. If there's can a, I? If there's any point of the show, I'd like to say that we can contradict ourselves all the time and that there's something I believe, nice about that. I believe... And I, I was listening to your thing with Duncan when you guys were talking about doing uh, shrooms and spirits presenting themselves. Yeah. And you were like, I can hear my friends calling bullshit on this. Yeah. And I was one of those. Because, you know, I've done shrooms and I think shrooms changed my life for the positive. Mm-hmm. Um, my first shroom trip without question made me a better person. Yeah. I really think that. I think it opened up my mind. Sure. I guess literally it opened up my mind. But yeah. uh, but but there was something spiritual that happened that day yes. with that drug and with the people that I was with. But I don't believe there are any spirits f- flying around inhabiting right. us or any tree gods or anything like right. that. Well, couldn't we just? But say- I but I can believe in group mind and the power of good vibes and the power of positive energy begats positive energy. Right. I believe that. Well, I wonder then if Tebow saying. It's like it's like your improv thing. We need a new word for yes and. We need a new word for these different things. Maybe we need a new word for spirit and we need a new word for demon and angel and all that stuff. Because if Tebow, it seems just psychologically undeniable that someone says, I'm anointed. Even if I just said to you, Matt, today, God has anointed me to take you to lunch right now. Like – we're kind of dummies and we're kind of like, oh, and if you choose to buy into that, you know, to kind of yes and that silly idea okay. that that's a blessed lunch that I've been sent here to take you to lunch, maybe our lunch would be better because we're all agreeing that that's the reality. So Tebow comes out and says, Jesus told me to throw some touchdowns. And everyone's like, this guy might be out of his fucking mind, but I'm going to go with him. That turns into like this improv thing. And they're all agreeing and they're playing this game and they're more powerful as a group mind because they they gathered under the banner of Jesus. Faith. <clears throat> you're talking about faith and you're talking about loyalty. Does faith and loyalty have to come with something I with the supernatural thing. That, well, that that's what I don't buy. It's right. like I can believe in faith and loyalty and us all getting together and being on the same page and right. all those things a team leader can say, but to think there's a supernatural entity doing things for my football team that he's not doing for other football teams or for me as a player that he's not doing for other players. Right. That's a bunch of fucking horse shit. Of course, of and course. then what about the people who are doing well that aren't Christians? I explain that. Right. But isn't that this is the stuff of war and stuff like I'm talking like old timey wars with swords and arrows and stuff where like God is on our side. I don't think you can argue that it, the reason why I think Tebow wants to go with Jesus rather than arguably he could be like this lemon wants us to win mm-hmm. and the team could put all their energy and be like I think that's a lucky lemon that lemon is making us win that lemon wants us mm-hmm. to win instead we're tapping into this huge cultural world ancient idea and then it's in the back of your subconscious going maybe this Jesus stuff is for real more than you would to a lemon that's why I think maybe you you, you might hang that hat on that hook rather than lemon or rather than loyalty and those things those things are just less exciting if I'm the guy that's dodging the offensive people Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know sports. I'd rather think that it's Jesus than uh, than loyalty to you, or the team, or the franchise. It, it kind of makes sense psychologically to pin it on a religion, and I bet you get that too. What do you mean? I get that. You get how that might work. For who? Who's it working for? The team. Do you think the Broncos all believed that 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 God was helping him, or just like? I think when you're on the field. 
who it, like what's the difference? It's like no atheist in foxholes. You're just kind of like this Jesus thing's working for him. Maybe maybe it is working. But you you realize there's Jesus guys on every team. There's a big Jesus guy on every team, if not a bunch. Yeah, if not a quarter of the team, they're they're getting in the middle of the field and praying after the game's over. I right. got no problem with those guys. I have right. no problem with Christian athletes. Yeah, I have no problems with guys like Kurt Schilling or Drew Brees or John Kitna who are or Roger Staubach who are huge. Christians off the field, they don't stick it in my fucking face while I'm watching the football team. Right. Therefore, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have to be involved with it. Right. Tebow does. That's the difference. Right. I don't hate Christians. I hate evangelical Christians that stick shit in your face. Right. Whether it's in Boston Square or whether it's when I'm watching a football game. But what's weird is if you say that you... One of the things that always bothered me when I was belonging to the church and really towed that line, I was like, if we really believe this, why aren't we? Why, why would I ever talk about anything else? That's the thing that always didn't feel real to me in my own belief. I'd be on a car ride, and I'd want to talk about your five favorite breakfast cereals, but I wouldn't want to be like, how's your soul? Because I was a child, and I didn't know what I was talking about. But like, if we really do believe that hell's a place and heaven's a place and Jesus is a thing, we should be Tebowing it up. I guess. I believe in cancer. I don't need to talk about that during the game either. Uh. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things you could believe in and talk about and push your agenda on at the end of the game. You are right, sir. You it's are like, right. I don't need to hear about it, dude. And now he's in Jew York. Yeah. He better shut the fuck up at the end of the games. Yeah, because he's in Jew York. Yeah. Am I allowed to say that? I'm no, in the room you're not. With two I'm only Jews. half allowed to say it. And Katie, are you full? <laughs> you're half, but your mom is? Say hi, me town, whatever you want. Oh, you guys are both. We're all Gentiles. You're, this is three Gentiles. I'm going by what the Torah says, guys. I go. I'm an. I'm like the NCAA's. I go for, with the underdog always. What do you mean? The choose the underdog. Oh, yeah, sure. The original under, uh, underdogs. That's yeah. why they're so hilarious. Yeah, you gotta support them. If a, you're half and half. They're a good. You're a halfy. Half and half. <laughs> I was on a walk this morning, mm-hmm. just like you. We're like old men, and we walk in the morning. Mm-hmm. You walk up to Lovett's Club and see if you're respected that day. On <laughs> 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 my respect walk every morning. Oh, that would be the best. <laughs> oh, I, got, I got some good respect there, Danny. Let me ride in the club. Uh, someone offered me a water. Uh, honey, no respect today. I had to knock on the door twice, and they put me in this awkward position behind a pole. Man, I had a respect story recently where I was at the improv, and they were like, your set is eight minutes. And I went, I'm going to go long. That's what that is. That's respect. That's me. That's again, that's like a dick thing. I don't think that makes me a dick, but that is a dick moment. That's me being like, how much respect do I have? I'm going to tell you I'm going to go long, and I hope the manager says okay. You know what I mean? So you weren't joking. You were testing exactly. your boundaries. Like a little baby boy. Like a little baby boy. And but, it may- but you must have said that because I wouldn't even know that eight isn't much or eight is a lot or whatever. Fifteen is normal. And I thought oh. I was doing 15, and they said, you're doing eight. And then oh. I, I think I, think I uh, now I am a dick. I'm a dick. And then in your head, you're looking at someone that did 15 and going, I can do better than that. Yeah, this is the gross side of me. I'm not No, I'm not, but I'm not everyone's doing that, whether they're admitting it or not. I, I mean, that's what you're, how you're gauging. You're like, well, I know I could go up and do as well or better. Right, 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 right. Or, you know, here, if you really want to get into that white hot Jesselneck style ego, you get off stage after I went long and it went very well, and you're like, yeah, that's why I go long. I'm not going up to try some things out. I'm here to delight this crowd. 
You know what I mean? I'm being a dick for the greater good. <laughs> wow. I'm uncomfortable with that thought. But those are the types of thoughts that I have, and I'm not going to apologize for that. You are saying what other people think, Pete, and that's why we're all listening. <laughs> Respect, you got to go out on those limbs, or why listen to you? I love you, man. That's a great thing to say. Listen. As an improviser and looking for patterns and, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. is there, is there a spiritual side? I'm interested in this karma thing. I'm interested in this idea that you're an atheist, but you're dabbling in pattern recognition. <laughs> yeah, I watched the show Touch with Keeper. I watched the pilot. Yeah, I kind of like that. I kind of dig that is very improv that, yes. that whole concept of numbers Why and strings. Show, and... Yes. Why does the show touch resonate? It's such a it's such a like simple things idea. connect. It's we funny to connect things, like yeah. things. Yeah. And connecting like things is going back to what I was saying earlier. You have a setup and you draw an analogy or a metaphor and go to that. That's the same thing with connecting things. You're going to see this thing way over here and this thing. They have this thing in common. Right. And sometimes that produces a laugh pointing that out. Right, 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 know, right. Where it's at very least interesting. Or it makes you feel like what I feel like Touch did is they took Lost, the idea of Lost and meaning and everything being meaningful and just took it into the off the island and put it in a real world. And they're like, what if everything meant something? Mm-hmm. That I mean, that's what we want. That's what we yearn for. I go on a walk. I, okay, so I'm on my old man respect walk this morning. And I'm just kind of like listening to some music and I'm going uphill. And I made eye contact with two dogs that were peeing. And that is and how dogs don't like to make eye contact. Uh, well, these dogs. So I, I wouldn't notice it I, the first time I noticed it because it's funny. I saw a big fuck off dog lift up his leg and just like a human sized dick just streaming urine wow. onto the uh, onto the grass. And the dog looked at me like right at me, and I go, "That's kind of weird." But I'm I'm the kind of person that goes, "It's a dog looking at me kind of day." Just like on Duncan's, yeah. I'm like, it's a baby smiling at me kind of day. I noticed that sort of stuff. I'm like, that dog looked right at me while it was pissing. It was kind of funny. And then I'm walking, and not 10 minutes later, another dog taking a hot piss looked right at me. And I was like, that's all it takes. Isn't I'm it so weird when you hungry for that stuff that I'm isn't like. Isn't it weird when you learn a word, like you're reading a book, and you, you come across a word that you don't know, and you look it up. Like, you're like, I've never even heard that word. Yes. And you look it up, you learn it. And then the next two weeks, you hear that word like three times. Right. You're like, I never right. knew that word. Now I know it. Yes. Now I'm hearing it all the yes. time. Yes. Isn't that weird? So you like looking for patterns and stuff Love like it. that. I like the Illuminati, which is... I was just going to say, when you were saying no no religious symbols on government things, I'm like, what about the fucking $1 bill, man? That shit's religious as fuck. Oh, it's so much fun, all that kind of stuff. You like that stuff? Connections 33 and, uh, feathers on that eagle, man. I, when I was doing this religious show, I, I, I became obsessed with cutting out any article on religion and I pasted them up on this big cardboard uh, wall and then yeah. like a lunatic like yeah, a crazy fucking this is run of the mill touch lun- guy I'm, I'm making I'm underlining words from different articles and yeah. like this connects to this and this is going I'm not looking I'm not crazy like I'm seeing conspiracies yeah but I'm just seeing patterns in religion you yes. know and just that's fun man and it was only me I wasn't showing it to anyone else it was kind of crazy man right, right, but it, right, right. I did it and I was like this was something even now when I read an article it's hard for me not to cut it out I'm not yeah. doing the show anymore I'm like oh, I want to obsess on this yeah because it's fun because I don't want to lose the pattern look man that's how I pass the time in my day is I or, or sometimes I'll do it when I'm hanging out with people I was just hanging out with a couple friends of mine I was like hey let, we're going out tonight let's, let's count the serendipities we're just going to do it we're going to do it. And, like, I, I'll count anything. That's how I start. I'll count anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the girl said, um, this, this looks like a sidewalk. It's not big enough for two people, but it's big enough for a man and a dog. And then we turned the corner and there was a man and a dog. That's not a good one. 
but I count it because that like it. it's like improv. It, it, you get momentum. You go, that counts. Serendipity number one. By the end of the night, I think we had 15. They go- weren't necessarily all great, but like if it's fun to look for them. It literally passes the time. Going back to your thing of connecting improv to religion, and uh, oddly enough, when I talked to Del Close um, on his deathbed, when he was knew he was dying and he was doing his final calls to people, he, he said to me, I want you to help spread the love that is improv. He said that in so many words, but mm-hmm. he, he said that, and I don't know if I'd ever heard the word love from him, and we weren't touchy-feely with each other at all. So when he said that, he he to me, that's like a religion. Mm-hmm. I want you to spread the love that is improv, and improv, like you said, it's about group mind. Group mind is about listening. It's about taking ideas and working with others to build an idea. Mm-hmm. People take improv classes to bring that into their their regular lives. Mm-hmm. It makes it makes you a better person. Yeah, it just does. It's like your mushroom trip. It it's is. A, it's like it's like. And I had my my mushroom trip in an improv class. I mean, not literally tripping, but like I had a one class where I was like, "Oh, if yeah. I use the other guy's idea, this is much easier, right? And funnier, yes. and it works better, right?" And that was kind of my stand-up flaw, and that's what's said about stand-ups who do stand-up for a while and succeed at it and then do improv, is they have to get out of that because they're so used to being in their own head and succeeding by themselves right. and not other people. Right. That they have to open, it's like they have to break down that wall and go, oh, I'm not yeah. saying every stand-up, but like a lot. Yep. They're like, no, I'm used I, to getting laughs in this way successfully. Yep. It's really hard for me to do it in a different way. Right. I would be worse at improv now. I, 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 not to be weird, I think I used to be very good at improvising, mm-hmm. and now I feel like I'm good at stand-up, and I don't think, I, I think at, at the loss of my, some of my improv skills, but just because I am running on my own cylinders. But there is something beautiful, and there is something loving, and there is something religious feeling or spiritual feeling about improv. The listening, it's, it's a utopia. You're creating a loving environment. Something that I took from uh, improv is we used to pat each other on the back before we'd go out and go, I got your back. We'd just say that. It's, it's, it sounds kind of stupid saying it now, but I still do that. I, I just did. If uh, I've been on your group. I was saying, just say you got my back. <laughs> Stop patting me on the back. No more touching. There. No more touching. But that—that that is, you know, uh, it's come up before the idea that the Chinese proverb about hell. Everybody has these pool cues for chopsticks, and they can't feed themselves, mm-hmm. so they have bowls of food in front of them. They can't feed themselves because the chopsticks are too long. Then you go into another room, and it's heaven, and it's exactly the same, except everybody's feeding each other. Uh, you know what I mean? Every time I say that, it gives me a little tingle. Uh, nice. But that's that's. I you say they're using their hands. Long <laughs> chopsticks. You dumb Chinese <laughs> hell people! Just put down the pool cues and feed yourself. That's why you're in hell. You're a dumb dumb. <laughs> yeah, use your fucking hands. Uh, that's lovely. Oh man, I think did, that deathbed, Del Close deathbed, share the love that is improv. This is a free show. I know, man. What that a delight! It was, was a wild moment for me. I was like, oh, okay, because yes. that's not that what he wasn't that kind of guy. Yeah, and I kind of strayed away because there's too much of that in improv. Of like, you know, there was this one guy who was always like, if in doubt, fall in love with the other person. Fuck that. Ah, uh, that's so funny. Stupid. Is that no good? Advice. I remember Peter Gwynn wrote a pretty interesting thing about how to audition for improv. Uh And he was like, because if you're auditioning for like Second City or something or or like whatever, you only get one three minute scene. He was like, everything they say has to be like really important to you. He was like, get mad, fall in love, 
declare your love, you know, like, because you only, you have one shot to do something. So the fastest way to, like, manufacture a scene was to, like, do something. Like, you can't just have, like, a slow kind of PC scene. You got to, you got to make it happen. Right. What about, uh, what about love for you, man? You're, you're a karma-believing atheist. (laughs) 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 Who's the right lady for that? Is this a wedding ring? Yeah, man, I'm married. I didn't know you were married. You did my wife's show, man. That's your wife? (laughs) (laughs) I am so... You think I just hang out in the green room before shows I'm not in just to be a nice guy? Yes. Like, um... Yes. No. Yes. (laughs) So, uh, well, tell tell people that... Danielle Schneider is my wife. Danielle Schneider is your wife. Mm -hmm. She's lovely. You did a a show at our theater for years. God, how do I not know that? I've been hitting on her. Is this a way to say, why didn't I get invited to the wedding? I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no, not at all. Daniela, I did her uh, panel show. She has a huge ring. You better lay off her, man. I mean, how big I got to make it to get guys Isn't that weird? That that's kind of what an engagement (laughs) ring is, a little beacon that ladies wear on their finger to be like, taken. I don't know why it's Paul Lind saying it, but it's taken. Taken. (laughs) So you married Danielle? I swear I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's lovely. So you went with the other comedian, actor, person. I chose a comedian to... What I mean is... Make love to? What are you saying? As comedians, we have two choices. Comedians. Go with a comedian or not, not go. go with a comedian. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, non-comedians aren't funny, wonderful, engaging, interesting, introspective, uh, talented people. I'm just saying a comedian is very similar to who you are, probably. Danielle's probably pretty similar to you. Yeah, we get along great. But I would say in general, I would recommend not doing it. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Comedians are crazy. Yeah. You got, you got enough problems going on so you're to get in all that. You're doubling the good, and I have to imagine you're doubling the bad. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the bad being like those sad days, those like I'm a fraud days, those days where you walk up to John Lovitz's club <laughs> and no one get, no one gives a shit about who you are. I let her do the respect walk. <laughs> I'm like, I'll do the respect walk for you, honey. Ah, uh, Do you know Danielle Schneider? They knew, they, they knew you. They knew you. <laughs> I dropped off headshot. headshots. <laughs> so you went with it, but you don't recommend it for other people. I just know from friends just... Comedians are so fucking cra- I don't know. Probably everybody's crazy. What I know. What's great about yeah. our world is there is a world. Like, that's what's so fortunate. I've heard a lot of comedians in different podcasts, probably even your own, like, talk about how our job's so much greater than everybody's. I'm like, I don't know about that. I feel like people find fulfillment in all sorts of jobs. I don't think comedian is sure. the best job by any means. It's just whatever job you find fulfillment in. But our life does have something, a lot of people's lives, and maybe even improvisers more in stand-ups, but we have this community. Yes. It's great to have a community of tons of different people. Well, that goes back to my Quaker camp, and that goes back to me inviting you to roll down a hill and eat oranges with yeah. me. We're looking for some sort of group, something bigger so than you ourselves. you don't have to necessarily do J-Date or whatever, right. which most people do. Right, God, you know, God bless them because they don't have that community of a lot of different people. Right. They might have a small, kind of ten person thing going on, which is probably the norm. Right. But I walk into a theater with a thousand people that I could meet. You right, know? and that's mm-hmm. great. I, I've never picked up anyone at a bar. Right. I, I wasn't, you know, no need. I, I didn't grow up in the 
meet people on Facebook thing, like, right? Like you young people, but uh, <laughs> like you people. But you know what I mean. The, you, like I never had to do that. I'm glad that I pretty much have only dated and eventually married a performer. Yeah. I think you're right. The main feature of being a comedian is hanging out with comedians. And I remember wanting that more than being on television, more than uh, whatever accolade you could have. I want to hang out with really, really funny people. And we kind of have it reversed. Some people work, uh, let's say, in an office or whatever, and then they rarely will go out and drink or hang out socially. And we, ha- and, uh, we have it opposite. We never spend long bouts of time together. We've never been in the same building for nine mm-hmm. hours, but we do frequently hang out at UCB and go to bars afterwards and hang out. Like that's all we have. We kind of have just the good part. I think that's I the best. I love the green room. Me too. I mean, I was just saying I don't hang out in the green room. I didn't show the truth is I do sometimes. Yeah, like, why not? I love being in the green room. And yes. To me, that's that's the best socializing. That's right. That's why it hurt so bad when Pat Bear kicked me out. Ah! <laughs> I knew it so was. <laughs> But you see, Pat's our bulldog, and you need it. You need that. You need the bad cop. Come to think of it, RLA, we, we got a pit bull in every. It's good. It's good to have a pit bull around. Yeah, you need somebody to be tough. You gotta have someone saying. And he he did it so sweetly. I, I, he I, wasn't mean about it at all. It just hit me on the wrong time. It hit me at the wrong day. Pat's kicked me out of the green room. Is that so, true? Uh, you know, basically. <laughs> I think I think I've covered it, man. We ended on a big laugh. All right, man. Do you feel fine. satiated? I do. I Did feel I... I feel the good vibes and the karma coming around. Yeah. <laughs> Let's look for serendipities the rest of the day. That's what what I was going to tell you about my walk was that it was such a clear day and the two dog pissing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fun to just kind of dabble. So as everybody that listens to the show knows, I love a good atheist. I also love somebody like Duncan that's like the opposite of an right. atheist that sees meaning in everything. I'm delighted in your atheism and, and the new uh, dimension to it. I think it's really cool that you're an atheist that might intellectually want to want to say, like, the information I've been given leads to no God. That's what it leads to me. Uh-huh. And then also go around going, like, it's weird that, like, human brains can meld into one brain. Yeah. And it's weird that from your own experience that you see karma kind of being dished out or dealt out or however it's received. And, uh, and then- You will find a third dog pissing today, by the way. Yeah. I'm just... <laughs> Course, so to... I believe in the rule of threes, and that yeah. just, you, you saying two just—it almost bugs me a little. Yeah, like, I know if you will have to. I should go on another walk now. just to hopefully see one. It reminded me of Jesus saying, "You'll betray me by the time the crow crawls three times, or whatever." Jesus, <laughs> Jesus was hip to that stuff, and that was—I believe—that was Peter that did it. My namesake, so he really messed up, but he's okay. Besser. You're a better guest than Thanks, man. Can I plug something? Oh, please plug. And then you have to say, keep it crispy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Improv for Humans is my podcast yes. where, where we, it's 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 fun. Even the, if you and, think improv is cheesy, I think, check it out. It's no, on your nobody, yes. Oh, a lot of people do. do okay. Well, those... but uh, And then I have this movie, Freak Dance, which I've been working on for like 12 years. And it's it's a musical comedy and it has a lot of great dancing in it. Did it with this guy, Neil Mahoney, and a lot of people at the UCB. But we're going to be touring it up the East Coast, starting in Atlanta, going to Jacksonville, going all the way up the coast to Boston, May 9th through May 22nd. So please check MattBesser.com or FreakDanceMovie.com to find out about that. That's really cool. I can see you. And I'll be doing... 
bits out on the road too, so I'll be getting road respect. Yes, I'm gonna be earning some road respect points for you for your comedian stripe. Yeah, for you to be like I'm a real comedian <laughs> at night, uh, and also the Earwolf Challenge isn't that something? No, that's that's no longer. Hmm. That's good though. Thanks for looking that up. <clears throat> what about the uh, UCB television show? Is that still happening? Uh, no, Pete, you just went down my IMDb <clears throat> page. Crossballs season. <laughs> what season are we on of Crossballs? Do you get letters from autograph seekers who'll just pick out three random things from your IMDb and say how they're big fans of it and ask you for an autograph? Ah, you no. not gotten that? No, I don't get that. I just got it where it was The Talking Dead, which is the uh, talk show after The Walking Dead. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of your work on The Talking Dead. Uh, really? That's, that's, that's the thing that you're a huge fan of, Martin? That's great. That's great. I look forward to that sort of impersonal <laughs> fandom. I look forward to that. This is actually a fan letter that I just got. Somebody sent it right here to the theater. Isn't that fun? Be careful. Handwritten. Kind of smells like bitter almonds. Uh-oh. It's a cyanide reference. The last. <laughs> you spread, made it weird. Hey, spread the love of improv, will you? And right, then I brother. just die. Keep it crispy. Yeah, you did it without me even. Yes. Oh, you got it. Thank you, man. Thanks for coming. Yes. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 